Welcome to Forge Fireside, Forge's finding opportunities and resources to grow entrepreneurs. Our firesides are chats with innovative entrepreneurs, investors, and others from the startup world, telling their stories and sharing their wisdom with others. With me today is Marsha Dawood, podcast host, author, advisor, venture partner, and advocate. Welcome, Marsha. Thank you for having me. You've had quite a career and, and background. But I always like to start out with sort of the beginning of the journey, your educational background, and what was your intended career path? I did my undergrad studies at the University of Pittsburgh, and my dream when I was in college was to be a retail buyer at a department store. And I did get that job. Well, that was my first job out of college was to be an assistant buyer in the China department. So to this day, I own more dishes than any normal human being should ever own. Then I did go to school, back to school later in life. Uh, I got my MBA when I was 42, and that was from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill. Awesome. Now, based on kind of both what you studied then and the journey that you've been on, any advice for students today? Oh, if I could go back, I would want to look at my own finances, understand them better know that I could have the power even at a young age with just a little bit of money to be able to start to help other entrepreneurs and invest and learn about investing and be able to continue that journey throughout the rest of my life. So how did you get into angel investing? So my husband works in finance and one day in 2012, he came home and said, hey, we got invited to this angel investing meeting. And my response was, what's angel investing? I had no idea what that even was. And so we were living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania at the time, and we went to the meeting and I was just absolutely fascinated at the amount of innovation that was happening right in my own backyard in Pittsburgh of all places, which I thought that innovation happened either A, in big companies or B, in big cities that were like New York and San Francisco. I started to go to meetings. I started to learn more about the way that startups were run, how people invested in them. And then about two years later, we ended up living in New York City and I joined a group called Golden Seeds and quickly learned how little funding actually goes to women, people of color, any underrepresented founder. And that is when I got even more passionate about helping entrepreneurs. Watching the things that entrepreneurs are doing, and they're usually very big visionaries and they're trying to solve big problems. And these are problems that we need solved by more than just uh, charitable organizations. So. I usually will say that, you know, we can't place the burden on charities to solve all of our problems. That's not really fair. We have to actually have a lot of the innovation and changes that we want to see in the world come from for-profit companies. And that usually starts with an entrepreneur who sees a problem and decides that they're going to figure out a way to solve it. Can you tell me a little about that um, experience with ACA? Yeah, so the Angel Capital Association is the professional society of angel investors here in the U.S. We also have some global members. We do education, public policy, data collection. We're not an investment group. We are the place that angels go for best practices. Our members are angel groups and individual angels across the U.S. and globally. 
So I became a member of the board in 2015. And then in 2021, I became the chair of the board. My term as chair just ended in 2023, and but I'm still a member of the board for another uh, two years. So you were talking about the the sort of what your perception was in in early angel investing and and groups like Golden Seeds that really I think helped to put the focus um, where it needs to be. Let, let's talk about those gender related funding gaps. What are you seeing across the investing in area? Well, the number that we hear a lot is that women get less than three percent of venture capital funding. And the venture capital dollars are much, much bigger than angel dollars. But I would say that probably in angel world, it is a little bit better. It's about 25% of female entrepreneurs are getting angel funding. And we found that about 25% of angels that are out there are females. The number has been growing over the last several years. I remember going to the very first Angel Capital Association Summit. There's one every year. I remember the first one that I ever went to. And there was a line at the men's room. So if that tells you anything. (laughs) It tells me a lot. Especially within in Forge, we do a lot to try to promote the awareness around um, funding opportunities, equitable access to capital. What would be your your remedy or your recommendation? How do you encourage others to help address the this? I'll call it systemic issue. Well, first of all, it's a it's not a very known fact, so we need just more people to be aware of it. And then the more data that we can start to collect on the results that these underrepresented founders are getting, there have been some studies done by First Round Capital and others who have shown that they and a diverse team will definitely produce better results, not just produce better results for revenues, but also they lower expenses. Women in particular, I'll just use them as an example, can be extremely scrappy with a very small amount of money and they can usually stretch their dollar a little farther because that's something that we as women have had to do for a very long time and the results will show. And so we don't really at this point have enough of those types of case studies and and results to be able to move the needle farther, but it's happening every single day. And you start to see more and more entrepreneurs who are female rising to the top. You like to use a term, I think it's the psychology of money. Can you describe what that relates to? Sure. You know, when people think about the word investing, they think about needing to get a financial return. And you know, I get that, that we've we've kind of had that programmed into our brain that when we invest, we expect something back. When we donate, for example, like donate to a charity, our expectation of getting a return other than intrinsic returns of feeling very good that we've been helping a charity, our expectations are very low for any type of a financial return. We would not expect that. So I think when we talk about investing and we're investing for impact and we're investing for change, we need to start to shift our mind a little bit. Yes, we are still hoping for that financial return that usually comes along with investing, but we're investing for good. We're investing for change. We're investing to see things in the world that are going to make a difference. And and for that, we're going to get a lot more rewards, emotional rewards, as well as the potential financial rewards. And I think when we start to think about it like that, people will start to invest their money a little bit differently because maybe they're going to see like, wow, I actually could help to 
work, you know, help a company for treatment of a specific disease or maybe help with climate control or something like that. You know, entrepreneurs need a lot more than just money. Building companies is a very hard, very long, very laborious job. And, you know, if you talk to most of the entrepreneurs out there, they will tell you they barely sleep. They're, you know, sacrificing things with their family, time with their family and loved ones in order to make their company work. So we really do need to have there be help from not just a financial perspective, but also from an expertise perspective, time perspective, networking, making connections, opening your your network so that you can help these entrepreneurs to be able to find the things that they need and the connections that they need in order to grow the business. So I, I love that because I, I know one of the things we often try to encourage, especially to founders who are raising for the first time, is that there's smart money and dumb money. Yes. Avoid the dumb money. Go for the smart money. Think That's about funny. all of the other things that come attached to that, not simply the dollar sign. I believe that just because you have money doesn't mean you're a smart investor. We have to educate people more about this. Just to say somebody has money doesn't mean that they're going to be a very good investor. There's more of a, a harmony and a, and a loving relationship then in the future of all entrepreneurs and angels, because it is like a marriage. You have to be able to have the good relationship on both sides. The angel can't think, well, I want more of the company and the entrepreneur can't think, well, I'm going to keep as much as I can. Like it, it has to be a harmony for everyone. And if that's the case, then the companies will do a lot better. I love it. We we talk a lot about speaking each other's language. You know, I, I think how many examples where something breaks down and it's because the founder and the investor aren't aren't speaking the same language. That's exactly right. So you have a, a motto, which is do good while doing well. Yeah. So that was the title of my uh, TEDx when I spoke in Charlotte in October of 2022. And then I have a book that's coming out in, uh, later this year, same title, Do Good While Doing Well. And the whole idea is donating to charity isn't the only way for us to do good in the world. And traditional investing isn't the only way to do well. We can combine the two. We can make an impact in the world. We can help these companies to grow. We can get the innovations that we want to see in the world. I mean, imagine how many companies are out there where entrepreneurs have had amazing ideas where they could have actually taken the company to commercialization and brought something into the world that was an amazing innovation. And it turns out that they just could not get the backing, the funding, the people they needed around the company in order to make it work. And as a result, we're going to miss out on that. And I, I think the role of an angel investor is not passive, or at least it shouldn't be passive. But we actually bring companies that are, you know, impact, socially motivated, nonprofit, it, you know, there's so many different uh, terms for it into our accelerator programs. Because from our perspective, the entrepreneurial journey is the same, whether regardless of your, your downstream capital model. And so I'm, you know, I'm just thinking about sort of the future for angel investing. Where, where are we headed? VCs are kind of pushing a little bit into the seed and pre-seed space, which compresses things a bit. You know, is, is there an alternate path? Get out your crystal ball, Marsha. Where, where, what is the future for angel investors? I would say that one of the more interesting statistics I've heard lately is how many entrepreneurs are 
leaning toward going to equity crowdfunding in order to try to raise money. More women and people of color and underrepresented founders are using equity crowdfunding. So if I do think that that is a great place for a lot of investors to start because you don't have to put a lot of money at risk and you can learn a little bit along the way. And then you can kind of graduate into another like tier, I guess I would say, of angel investing. I also think that the younger generations, they're not going to go to angel group meetings the way that angels have in the past. They're going to want to do things right on their phone. They want it to be easy. They want it to be a platform. And that's really the equity crowdfunding platforms that have the majority of the market share right now, which are like WeFunder, Republic, Start Engine. They're figuring it out to make it simple and easy for people to be able to invest. The entrepreneurs that I've seen succeed the most are the ones who just push the envelope and push the envelope and push it before they actually take funding. And now they're just, they've gotten to a point where the only way the company's going to grow is if they take funding. And I think those are usually the ones who are the most successful. Well, this has just been a, a wonderful conversation. I really thank you for, for your tireless work in helping to promote and educate and, and encourage and I want to thank you very much for your time today, Marcia. Oh, thanks so much, Brian, for having me. Appreciate it. All right. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye.